if we're fighting about money or sex or whatever it is, a question that we often suggest you ask your spouse is, why is this so important to you? Why is it so important to you that we have sex twice a week? Or why is it so important to you that we save money? Or whatever it is to get to the underlying issues, because that's where we connect as humans and we can experience empathy. So to slow down the conversation and, and get to that deeper level. Welcome to Couch Talk. This is Dr. Anna, your host for Couch Talk, an intimate place for intimate conversation, shamelessly and guiltlessly. One thing that really can ruin our day is conflict, right? But there is a beauty to conflict. And that is something we're going to be talking about today with our guest on Couch Talk. And I'm excited to really bring up this concept of the power of conflict and how we can really resolve situations that we are dealing with. I was talking with a friend just yesterday. It's, you know, the holiday season and there's a level of so much stress that comes in around the holidays and sometimes a high level of resentment and dislike for even intermittently some of our own family members. No surprise to you, no surprise to me. And for this individual, she is really struggling with her marriage right now and how challenging it can be to communicate her needs, her wants, her desires, and also amongst this, a feeling of complete disconnection and resentment towards her partner at this time. I get it. I have absolutely been there. And one other thing she shared with me is that there's certainly a cyclical flow to the depth of the resentment and the anger and just the actual true hatred that's bubbling up. And I get that. And I was quick to reassure her, look, you know, I created products to help me with that. And that includes Mighty Maca and my Pure Balance PPR cream. Now I'll help you with that. But we've got to get to the underlying issues too that are taking their time to surface right now. It means we have to honor it and understand where it's coming from, but also how to communicate what you're feeling, and get to the real root of why you're feeling this way. So it was really interesting because we did a few exercises and kind of just understanding some of the root reasons for the resentment. And I love the work of Gary Chapman and his book, Five Love Languages. So as was true for me, as is true for so many of us, we will not feel love if our love language isn't being, being spoken to us. And whatever it is, for me, it is acts of service, absolutely acts of service. And for her, it's quality time, quality time. And that's a challenge because especially if your love language is quality time and your partner is traveling and working you know, long hours, you're not getting that one-on-one -on -one time or you're raising a family, you're not getting that one-on-one -on -one time that you're craving. And especially if that's your love language, there's other five languages. There are five love languages. And you, if you haven't read the book, I really encourage that, but essential for all bookshelves. There are five different love languages. I remember them by my order of love language. So acts of service, physical touch, words of affirmation, gifts, and quality time. So those are the five love languages. Doing the quizzes online can really be helpful in kind of figuring that out and start an area for friendly conversation. But the key thing is when we're feeling this conflict arise within us, within our marriage, within our families, within our work homes, we have to discover 
what the causes are. And that's where the beauty lies in because you're discovering what the underlying reasons are for this conflict for you as well as the other person. So you're discovering more about them. It doesn't matter if you've been together 30, 40, 50 years, there's discovery to be had. And so with our guests today on Couch Talk, Chris Marie Campbell and Susan, oh my goodness, what a charm to have them on this Couch Talk. They have an incredible history. Chris Marie was an Olympic rower and Boeing flight test engineer and Susan Clark, is a former marriage therapist and Equus coach. They are the authors of The Beauty of Conflict, Harnessing Your Team's Competitive Advantage and The Beauty of Conflict for Couples. So this book that's just been released is The Beauty of Conflict for Couples. I'm excited to share that with you. They also have the podcast called The Beauty of Conflict for Couples. So same name, so perfect in dealing with conflict at work or at home or whatever it may be. They've come from a long line of work with customers, clients, couples, as well as Fortune 100 companies such as Johnson & Johnson, Microsoft, and AT&T. So they're highly sought after and have been all over the web and were just really a delight to talk with during this episode. So I know you'll enjoy it. And let's Fill up your glass of Mighty Maca, get hydrated, get settled in, and let's talk about conflict. Well, hello, Susan and Chris Marie. It is great to have you here on Couch Talk. Yes, yes. we're excited to be yes. here. When I heard the title of your book, they're standing behind you right there, The Beauty of Conflict, I was like, yes, yes, I think. Like, I like to have an argument, but maybe that's not what your book's about, but I love to have an argument every once in a while. <laughs> it's too funny because most people, the beauty of conflict, oh my God, conflict, no. So, yes. I, 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 I'm probably more like you. Like, I'm like, conflict, it's out in the open. Let's talk about it. Let's figure out what we need to do. But I do get most... Well, a lot, a lot of people, people have kind of... Understand I, think, it. I think their primal brain goes, conflict ah. bad, I got to run or get away. Right. And and you guys literally call it the secret ingredient to a healthy, happy relationship, right? We yes. do. Give me the backstory on that. Cause you got to just share your backstory with, with my list because you know, like you just, Oh, we love conflict. We love to have conflict with each other. Conflict is fun. I mean, <laughs> well, now we did not theory. call it, <laughs> we did not call it the fun, the joy right. of conflict. <laughs> we called it beauty because beauty has depth and richness in it. And I mean, I grew up very terrified of conflict because I had a dad that was abusive and angry. And so I learned I'm going to repress what I feel and think and just focus on pleasing and achieving. And where I got interested and really saw the value of conflict is when I got into a relationship with Susan and she really wanted to know what I was thinking. And she might even be like, I want to know what you're (laughs) thinking. And I'd be like, ah. And what happened is she created space for me to show up and find my voice. And even in that tension, and lo and behold, we would come up with something that's not my idea or her idea, but a whole new solution or insight, another door would open. And I thought, wow, this is pretty cool because I felt like I matter and my voice matters and, we, and I have impact. So that's where the beauty comes in is coming up with different solutions and feeling like I exist and it's okay for me to speak up and have a different opinion. And probably for me, uh, this also in many ways came from my childhood as well. I had such a narrow story narrative of what the world could offer. And I often felt like I had the 
made the wrong interpretation of what everyone else in the world was seeing one thing and I was seeing something different. And I remember even back then, often being told, you have an imagination. You're such an imaginative (laughs) child, often because I was saying something that nobody else wanted to talk about. And so I actually started to really narrow my world. I thought most of the time, I thought I was wrong or crazy or whatever. And I really got, wait a minute, I show up and have a different idea, but I don't have a wrong idea. And that the more ideas that are out there, the more possibilities that are out there, the world expands and my world gets bigger. And I'm not stuck in the narrative, whether it's in my relationship or whether it's out in the world in general, that I would be stuck in if I only had my own storyline. But if you have conflicting storylines, that is conflict. I mean, that's what makes a book interesting, a movie interesting. A relationship, a relationship interesting. You know, <laughs> is um, I would not want to marry myself or be involved with my, on a team with my, just myself. You know? so, yeah. but. so that difference, absolutely, I see that. Like the difference adds that depth of beauty, right? But now instead of shutting down and becoming someone you're not, being able to express yourself through the conflict. I have a dear friend and and he says, if you think it, feel it, or feel it, say it, or feed the confusion, right? And often in relationship, we're so afraid of speaking what's on our mind. And actually in Sexual CPR, my program for sexual health, I often say when the upper lips aren't talking, neither are the lower lips, right? <laughs> so I love that. I love that. That is like, because I mean, you, well, that yeah. would, you would know, because I mean, we think it adds more life, aliveness, sexuality, like in sex, if you're not saying what you want, it's a disaster. You don't get the results of the purpose of it, right? The pleasure and the depth and the connection and and the, that that goodness. And yeah. even in the sexual charge that exists, often is because of our differences, not the sameness. Yeah. When we get same, that's when we get enmeshed and then we're more cuddly, not necessarily the spark of differences can create a lot of stews in the relationship. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then how do you how do you bridge that conflict? Like you're feeling that conflict and and you have a tendency to shut down or to maybe overreact. Like what's the what's the bridge to bring beauty into it? Well, one of the things is to start to recognize that we are typically responding in the same way over and over again. Mm -hmm. Like we learned how to deal with conflict probably before we even had words when we were a little kid in this sea of, you know, our family environment. And we even had to borrow our vagus nerve from our, from our mother or our caregiver. And so we kind of imprint those, those reactions. So we are reacting fight, flight, or freeze when conflict comes up quite often. And what I had to do for my own process, because I was so terrified of conflict, was actually just slow down and begin to watch how I was reacting. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time Susan was having a disagreement. We had two couples over and she was passionately engaged in conflict with somebody. And my body, I just started to react. Like my head went down, my heart started racing, my sh- a shallow breathing. And I went up to go to the bathroom. And when I got there, I just shook. And I did something different when I came back in. I said, I'm uncomfortable. I want you to I want you to stop because this is uncomfortable for me. So I was more vulnerable and I was watching and that started the intervention on my own behalf to have a different reaction in the midst of conflict. I think most people don't I mean, I know 
I grew up reactive. That was how I protected myself. So to actually begin to recognize, oh, I, I, you know, you have the highly sensitive person. I, I jokingly say I'm the highly reactive person <laughs> because that was how I stayed, kept myself safe. But I had to unlearn that. But the key is not to make it wrong, but to get interested in it. It's kind of same thing happened to me when I had cancer. It was like, I could either fight this cancer or I could get curious about the cancer. Very different. So if I can get curious about cancer, I can get curious about reactivity and I can get curious about, and it's a very different when I'm looking at it from that lens. I think I have more compassion for myself, more compassion for the process. And that allows me to then have choice, you know, but you first have to be willing to own, oh yeah, I am reactive. Okay. That's just part of being human. And reaction can look like getting upset and getting mad. It can also look at, okay, I'm going to shut way down and repress, which is my style. And then, oh, there's no conflict, but there's tons of conflict inside of me, which leads to health issues and all sorts of other, not living the life that I really want because I'm not speaking up. So there's always conflict. It's how are we getting curious about it and becoming more self-aware? And I think in relationship, I can be so afraid of being abandoned or being inundated. And it's like, okay, if I recognize those are the two primary things, I can all oh, now, that's what I'm afraid of. That's not even, but that's what I'm afraid of. So that gives me an opportunity to, okay, I have a choice. I could talk about it or I can just keep in my reaction and likely create it. Same with inundation. If she starts to talk to me about something she wants, and it nine times out of 10, if you're in a couple, it means I'm going to have to do something different. So I can see how that can feel like an it, like my world is going to, I don't want my world to change. But if I can just relax and say, wait a minute, I don't know the outcome yet. I just know I'm afraid of having to be different. And even saying that's much different than saying, you can't do that, mm-hmm. you know, which we tend to say in our reaction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I can just totally see, you know, I have four daughters and, and like this whole thing, like the beauty of conflict. Oh, we got so much beauty going on. In my <laughs> <laughs> so much beauty. Yeah. But um, but you think about how each one is different and reacts. Uh, my 11 year old took the Myers-Briggs entering uh, middle school this year and she's a debater. I'm like, I could have told you that. <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. There is no, there is like, could you be a repressor? We know. (laughs) We don't get to wish those things. No, no, thank goodness. But no, but it's so true. It's like, you know, you see the different styles and communication patterns within within family, within your work family, you know, and and that's really critical to understand. Like, how do we honor and respect each other's differences so that we create a, you know, existence, a a beautiful coexistence together? Mm -hmm. That is so critical. I mean, it is so easy to just make someone wrong versus, no, they're just different and that's okay. Could I be curious about how this must work for them? And their style, that comes through in families. It comes through at workplaces. It comes through with couples, you know? Uh, and so often we work with organizations and we work with couples, but in some organizations can have such a you're going to kill the the counter person. The person's bringing up the other point of view. Like, we just want to get rid of you. And often that person has a great insight if you can slow it down. It, it sounds crazy at the beginning, but if you can slow it down and really understand their thinking, a lot of times it has a lot of mm-hmm. validity and actually insight that the rest of the group, the group think, is not picking up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can see that. And so I like how you said, get interested in it, get curious about it. And even in your personal experience with your cancer, you got curious about it. Now imagine you're, 
you're healed, you're completely cured, what's going on there, everything's good. Yes. I mean, that was, that all happened in my early twenties. That was kind of my, I think because I had not dealt with such a large portion of my own life and it just kept running by it literally and made myself ill, like completely broke down and went through four different cancers. So it was a journey, but I mean, there was two things that taught me. One, I, I unearthed all this stuff that I had not dealt with. And so that created very huge conflict in the world around me. But, and oddly enough, that was, as soon as I started addressing that, my health actually started to improve. But I also had to deal with these medical people who had all different points of view and they did not like each other. Like everyone thought they had the right solution. So I was kind of like navigating through this tension of them telling, no, you cannot do that. You cannot go to an alternative. You cannot go to a... Yeah, this was a long time ago and nothing alternative was considered okay. And But the alternative people were not talking to my doctors. So it was like, this needs to change. I jokingly say, you're on Project Susan. Like, so you have to get along. You cannot, <laughs> I get to decide, not you. And But I was young and I was fairly like, like I was probably, I believed like they should listen to me. Even though I knew they were smarter, I had the willingness to say, I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do unless you talk to this other person. So I learned a lot about conflict, both from my medical experience, but also then dealing with the impact, not dealing with conflict it had in my earlier life. So it was like- I would say like the more you talked about what you remembered and your experiences, the conflict came out of your body and got more- It almost seemed like that. The relationships around her family had more conflict. Yeah, everything had more conflict, <laughs> but but it was out in the open then. So I always say surfacing conflict saved my life. It was like, okay, I think it was turned around my health. And when it was out, I might not have felt comfortable, but I at least had an avenue to begin to talk about it. And I am healthy now. So. <laughs> you look it, you guys look it. So that's <laughs> awesome. You know, and, and I think that's really important because often the body holds emotions, right? The body holds emotions. And part of my journey was this experience of traveling around the world on a healing journey, my own healing crisis, and learning from different healers, like a Native American healer, an Indonesian healer, a shaman, a Andean philosopher, I mean, different people, but they all were saying the same thing. Like the breast hold relationships, the kidneys hold fear, the pancreas guilt, the liver hate, you know, or anger. And so like when you have that, that just changed my perspective as a physician looking at patients when, you know, a patient came in with, you know, pancreatitis, recurrent pancreatitis. I'm like, well, is there something that you've been holding on that you feel guilt about? And then she just erupted in tears and like, well, who knew, right? I mean, that was fascinating to me. And so it just gave me another energetic perspective, but traditional medicines no worries. Traditional medicine has been saying this for a long time, right? The, diff, the energy meridians and how powerful that is. One thing that I always say, and you guys have a perspective on resentment, I always say, and I have learned this, that resentment is lack of self-care. When it comes to relational care, what is that underpinning of resentment? And when you, you're experiencing resentment, you're shut down towards your partner and or and you're someone you're working with, your boss or employee or whatever, and you're having this resentment, how do you bridge that? Like, how do you get into that, dissect it and diffuse it, heal it? Mm-hmm. I think when you said resentment, there's something 
about self-care. The way we look at that is like when resentment comes up for me and the way we talk about, is it a good sign for me to look, where am I not self-defining? Where am I not boundarying? And usually- And saying what I want and what I don't want. Yeah, because the first step is to recognize, because when you're feeling resentment, it usually feels like it's about the other person. I resent that they're not doing enough. I resent that they, you know, I'm the one who always has to do everything versus just an example in our world was when Chris Marie, you know, we work together and do, you know, a lot of things. And she decided that she wanted to take up acting, which was great, except for when you're in a community theater project, she'd be gone for like eight weeks and our business would, I'd have well, to. Because we couldn't, I couldn't travel for our business. And not only that, but she'd fall in love with whoever her, <laughs> you know, she was always picked to be the sexy woman in the movie. Who had some, so there was all sorts of stuff for me that would come up. But one of the biggest things is I would sort of, I could feel myself getting resentful. Like, why do I have to cover the house and do the, take care of the business and do stuff? And what I, whenever it would happen, I'd, you know, I'd have to deal with that energy because that energy was there. But the real key was to look back and recognize how am I not taking care of myself? Because yes, I could make it about her, but all right, maybe I want to change the way that we don't have as many client offsites while she's in it. There were things I could do for myself that I wasn't doing. And what I was really jealous of was she was having such a great time. So how was it that I wasn't doing what I loved? But that took a while you know, to kind of work my way back. But the biggest thing was to turn it around and not make it about her, but to recognize, oh, I need to take care of myself. I agree completely. I think that is, that is really clear. And it's so easy to say it's because of you. Like, I'll tell you another medical story. When I was in medical school, I, you know, I have a urology professor, not a good teacher, but he was a, a great person. And one thing he said to me, he says, Anna, in class, you are the only one who can upset yourself. And I'm like, oh no, my boyfriend can really piss me off. And he's like, no, you choose how to react to that situation. You are completely in control of that. So that was like, I am the only one who can upset myself. That was something that I, you know, I was glad I learned that before I went to residency. (laughs) (laughs) Those were some challenging people. (laughs) So I'm the only one who can upset myself. And that, that kind of reminds me of this, that okay, I have to choose how I'm going to react. But then that whole concept of shoving, shoving, shoving down, I've done that in relationships. And then that resentment boils up. Like, whoa, there's a healthier way to deal with this. We talk about in the book, The Beauty of Conflict for Couples, we go through a boundarying uh, process, which is really just, it's kind of self that is important. And am I asking for that Mm -hmm. or creating that in my world? And if not, finding ways, we go through a process where you find, hey, this is important to me. I want to save money or because security is such an important thing to me, whatever it is to really, and you're defining yourself, meaning I'm speaking out what I want. And that doesn't mean your partner has to change. You're just defining yourself and doing what is important for you. And it's a very powerful move because I'm talking about myself and I'm I'm identifying what matters to me. One of the biggest things with couples is slowing down the process so that you actually have a real conversation, especially when in the act, something she wants is so different than what it's going to look like in my world. Should she do that? You know, or I mean, in couples we work with, you know, sometimes it's like somebody wants a polyamorous relationship and the other one wants monogamous. And usually at that point, they think this cannot work. And we're like, well, whoa, that's, we don't, it may, 
but you have to have a much different conversation if you're going to figure that out than just try to solve it. And, and we're so rushing to the solution. Yeah. Okay, fine. You want poly? I'm out of here. Versus really, okay, what's what's underneath the polyamorous desire and what's underneath the monogamous desire? And there can be something that actually a missing need that's both sides that could be addressed in a different way. I mean, but you don't know until you start. I, I mean, I just think of this one couple we worked with. It was such a you know, I was so sure they were going to split up when we were first starting because it, and I have to admit, sometimes I have my own opinion, like, mm, I don't think this is going to work, but I have learned, let that, you know, <laughs> what ended up getting to was the, the guy who wanted the polyamorous, he actually really got in touch with, you know, he has fought with depression and this was actually something that hugely supported him in shifting his depression. And they spent, I don't know how, a lot of the time we have a four day program talking about this very issue. And when he finally got down to what it meant to him and she really got down to what was up for her, why she didn't want that. She realized one thing, it was what he was looking for. She said, well, that's something very different than what I thought it was. Like, cause of course you think, you know, you make up your own story about what polyamory means to someone. They just want to have sex or they just want it. But suddenly she had whole, all sorts of empathy for something different in him. And they ended up coming up with this very creative solution, have stayed together, each redefined what it means to them. And it's working. Wait, I got to hear about the solution because I'm very confused. (laughs) Well, I will say because she really got, it wasn't at all about having a polyamorous relationship in terms of, it was the connection that got him out of his depression. And she was jealous of the sexual aspect of it and that she was losing her relationship to him. And when they actually experimented with it differently, she found out he was actually much more alive in their relationship. But, and they had a, it, it to, they agreed. She was monogamous with him. He had his polyamory. Although I think in poly, I, I didn't ever question this, but I do think it's usually people come, the whole, everyone knows each other. They just chose not to do it that way. They, so they did take some elements of it out, but it, it's really worked for them. Well, because he was also in bed for like, like he was pretty in and accessible in his depression. Yeah. And so, so that may not be everybody's choice of dealing with depression. Yeah. And, yeah. You know. No. Or, or for relation, but it's interesting for me because, you know, from the health, you know, I talk about how we self-medicate. Right. And so I'm interested in that. So he was depressed. And I think about, of course, our most powerful hormone, oxytocin. Oxytocin is love and connection hormone. And something I talk about, you know, through my journey and through, you know, in my books and my work is that when we've had trauma, either adverse childhood experiences, post traumatic stress, midlife, when we lose this neuroprotective, these neuroprotective hormones, we lose that kind of that shield. So we tend to have, especially if we've had PTSD or adverse childhood experience, we have more you know, have a difficult time in this menopausal transition, andropausal transition as well. And so what happens is that, you know, we also with PTSD and chronic or chronic daily stress, you know, cortisol is low, you know, after being burnt out, cortisol suppressed, oxytocin suppressed at the same time. And so you're in that depressed, the world has no color. It's very lackluster shades of gray, so to speak, versus rainbow colors. And so you're in this state. So you learn how to self-medicate. Like I think about Robin Williams, did he self-medicate with laughter and jokes and did he self-medicate that way, but he was truly depressed. So laughter creates oxytocin. So 
boost of, of laughter until you're not doing that anymore. Sex, oxytocin, medic, you know, and there's, there's healthy behaviors to get that, but that oxytocin, like how do we tap into that in ourselves and our daily life and with things that we love so that we keep this breadth of color and depth of experience in our life. So if we look at, you know, okay, how's the physiology driving that behavior too? You know what I mean? So that that's interesting to me. I'm like trying to dissect it too from a, another aspect. And even with our view of depression even is actually a lot of people don't give themselves permission to express anger and they are repressing that. So learning to work with that energy, which you could tell me the neurotransmitter what happens in, or in the hormonal view, but that allowing that energy, whether you're pounding on a pillow, because in our society, we do not, you know, anger is taboo, really. So allowing that expression on a regular basis, because there's a lot to be angry about. In life. And the key is, I mean, I think what happens is some people get, don't think it can, that can just be cathartic and it's just move, but it's not catharsis if you actually can be witnessed and talk about what's happening. So it's the same way with the whole polyamory thing. It might be self-medicating, but as soon as they could actually talk about it in the relationship and use it as a building of intimacy, it also became part of the contact and connection. So that's where, in the same way with anger expression, we have know, a find ways that I, I can enjoy seeing somebody actually be in their fullness of their rage. If I don't think it's going to become violent, if I know the choices, and then I, you know, that person can feel witnessed and I can feel like I actually could be here and nothing crazy happened that used to happen or whatever. That can be healing for both people as we, long as there's that relational aspect. We talk about a process in the book called the Vesuvius, which is what Susan's talking about. Like, give me two minutes to vent and she's witnessing me. And that's a very, for me, expressing anger is hugely vulnerable because if I expressed anger at home, I'd get hit. And so anger was Velcro to violence. And that is a very healing process to allow myself that anger and then also feel that connection. And by the way, when you get angry, you get all flushed, your eyes dilate, you look very much like sexual arousal in a lot of ways. So. It's a release, right? It's certainly a release. So again, that can be healthy turn of events, right? Expression. And I like how it's Vesuvius, like Mount Vesuvius. Yes. <laughs> yeah. you know, Volcanic yeah. eruption. Yes. You're giving, you're putting a cap on it, right? Two minutes, two minutes. Two minutes. And it's boundary too. Like you're not going to hurt yourself. You're not going to hurt the other. Per- if there's kids around, you may say, we can't say swear words. And you give the kid the timer. They feel very empowered. Like mommy, you have to stop, you know? Oh man, I needed that last night with my 23 year old. <laughs> <laughs> Needed a timer. It was a very cathartic experience, at least for me, but yeah. <laughs> so one question I often get is when I had a client in the exam room and she said, you know, I just don't even want to talk to my husband anymore. I hate him. I'm feeling such resentment towards him. And I'm, you know, I'm like working on hormones, working on physiology, working on stuff, but you got to work on the communication. What's that, that like, how do you start when you actually just can't even look at each other in the eye anymore? What is the practice that could be implemented? What do you recommend in that sense? Well, I mean, one thing, and this this comes from years of working with couples, like I am less worried if someone is filled with either resentment or anger than if they're in depression and indifference. indifference. Because what, you know, and so first off, helping that person, like right now, you have a lot of energy with this person. Now, if we just think of it as energy, (laughs) there's a possibility to connect. Now, you've lost any goodwill. So that's where you kind of have to start. Like, are you willing to recognize that if you wouldn't have all this resentment if you didn't care? 
for one thing, like helping them get to that, that there is something still here. Now, are you willing to take the risk of going back and figuring out like one, what, what attracted you to this person in the first place? Because nine times out of 10, that original romance story is where things started to go off. You had a romance and that's really, you know, with your mission. It's like, you have a whole movie. We meet our person and a whole movie plays out in our head and we've cast this other person in our leading role, that other leading role. And unfortunately they don't kind of stick to the script and it really pisses us off. (laughs) So, you know, and if someone can stay engaged, like to start to talk about what were your original romances with each other and have that conversation, whether it was physical attraction, I mean, I always laugh because years ago when I was doing my marriage and family therapy thing, I had to interview my parents and I interviewed them separately. And I asked my mom, like, what was, what attracted her to my dad? And she goes, you know, what I loved most about him was that, you know, he saw me for my brains. He really didn't care. You know, he wasn't interested in what I looked like, but we had such great intellectual conversations. They were, you know, and she, she was just, you could see her come alive in it. So then I went and interviewed my dad. And I said, so what attracted you to my mom? He said, she had on this blue dress. She was so sexy. She looked great. <laughs> and I could just, and so at one point I said, you, it would be, I'd love to show you guys the interview because it's sort of classic, the classic example of what happens. But if a couple can actually listen to each other's romance, start to, as more of this is the movie this person made about me. Now, some parts probably fit but some parts don't. But the, as soon as a couple can start talking about that, that romantic juice starts to come back up. And so then it's like, okay, so what, there's still usually little fragments of it there. And then they could start to, okay, so what could you do now to remember that? Like, because you each have very different things you wanted. Because nine times out of 10, what comes up then is the differences. And, but that really wasn't like Chris Marie. She, she saw me deal with a bully one time in a big room of people. And, and so I was calm and you so powerful. And I thought she's going to take care of me because I grew up with a bully and I didn't get to take care of myself. So I thought she's going to protect me. It's going to be awesome. That did. And then we go across the borderline where she's in Canada. I'm in Seattle. We're crossing the peace arch and she's driving the car and you have to figure out what borderline. And she's just like, turns into a, like a neurotic mess. Like, Oh, wait, which line should I get in? Oh no, I mess up. And I'm like, you're, who are you? You're not like, the person I thought you were. This is not okay. I, like, I never said that I was going to be this, you know, great. She didn't sign up for my, yeah, you know, the role, but, but, but it was, but when we can get into talking about it, and recognizing, oh, okay, so that's what you liked. And that's what, then it can be fun. That can actually start to enliven a relationship. Now, if they can't, if a couple can't even start there, then it may even be just have some physical contact with each other. Back to back. Don't, and yeah, listen to a piece of music you each like, or choose one and just sit and look, listen to the music through the other person's ears to see, you know, what do I like? Anything that can help them get back in touch with something about why they even got together. And doing something where you're not like, if they're in a big, a lot of times couples kind of do kind of serial fights, like they're <laughs> upset about things. And if you can do anything to break that, that cycle, because our lives are so transactional, it kind of keeps like a washing machine going around, but like taking a drive together or a walk or anything that gets you out of your, your same environment to it just shifts the energy so you can reconnect. And if it is a big issue that you're talking about, is really getting underneath this 
if we're fighting about money or sex or whatever it is, a question that we often suggest you ask your spouse is, why is this so important to you? Why is it so important to you that we have sex twice a week? Or why is it so important to you that we save money? Or whatever it is to get to the underlying issues, because that's where we connect as humans and we can experience empathy. So to slow down the conversation and and get to that deeper level Mm -hmm. can create. Well, you hit on a really big topic, fighting about money. Do couples really do that? (laughs) (laughs) All the time. We do it. (laughs) Well, the funny part is we have done a little bit of where we've been invited into financial planners conferences to speak because they end up dealing with the conflict way more. They become money therapists. (laughs) And it's kind of funny because they're like, we have no qualifications for this other than, you know, we have found out that basically they're totally covering up different bank accounts, whatever else. And so it is, it's a hot, it's one that people don't talk about, but they need to. So we actually talk in the book about know your hot topics. Like if it's money, if it's sex, if it's, you know, the kids, parenting, and then regularly have conversations. We have a five, five of that, meaning, and in a couple, you don't need to, too often people just get into a fight about it, goes on and on and on. But we call it a five, five, five. Like I get to talk about how I'm feeling about the money for five minutes and she's just listening, absorbing, taking it in. And she gets to talk for five minutes about her position on the money. Then we dialogue. For five. For five. And then you cut it off. Even if you haven't resolved it, it's like, okay. Um, you don't want a 5545 or yeah. <laughs> you want a 555. And we actually suggest you use a timer and then either go off and do something different, switch gears, don't continue because too often a topic comes up and one person's talking about it and the other person, I don't want to talk about it. And they're chasing each other yeah. around the house. So this actually creates a boundary time capsule. And you could do this if it's a really hot topic, you could do it once a day, once a week on that topic. And what starts to happen, this is where the beauty comes in. What starts to happen is things start to percolate in each of you and you start to actually get deeper into what are the roots of this thing and what is going on. And you're starting to solve or get insight into the deeper issues. Not the surface issue. And I've seen couples who have money issues, big money issues, like one couple, totally, this guy had done all sorts of crazy things with the money, but they agreed before they thought, you know, this is it, to do these five, five, fives on a regular basis. And eventually they came to a much deeper, richer understanding of each other and how they dealt with money. And they didn't have to end the relationship because of money. But the key is not trying to solve it, really using it as an exploration because most times couples don't need to get divorced tomorrow. They could prolong, you know, like you could talk about this thing you think is irreconcilable over a period of time and see if something different emerges. And I'm surprised how many times that's helped a couple stick in and come up with something totally different. All right. So, I mean, I I love this conversation. I like the five, five, five rule. I also like the back to back, you know, and just like, okay, well, can we do to have physical connection? But it's very safe and it's peaceful. Let's start there, right? Let's start there. And so, hey, so Susan and Chris Marie, can I jump onto your couch for a second? (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Yes. (laughs) That's great. Therapist, help me out here. So conflict, back to the money conflict. So for example, I have a friend who's dating someone. Okay. So this is like, I'm just dating someone So dating over 50 as a single mom for nearly a decade now, it's quite interesting, just started. And so dating this gentleman and conflict over money, like there's that feeling like, 
looking for, like for me, my, and this is great because I've been having these conversations, but feeling like, okay, I need, of course he's going to pay for dinner. You know, I'm not splitting the bill. Of course he's going to pay for dinner. Oh, you know, or like we stop through and, you know, he's waiting for me to pick up the check for lunch. I'm like, I guess I'll pick up the check for lunch, but then I resent that. And so, you know, like having that feeling, because I grew up in a very Middle Eastern family, very male pays, fights for the bill, right? The men will fight for the bill. And and so I grew up with that. I've been self-sufficient and taking care of myself. I don't need someone to pay my bill or whatever, but it really is an area of conflict for me saying, okay, is this someone who is a provider, will take care of me? Like I go down that route. I'm like, I'm dating this man. Why am I thinking this way? You know what I mean? And and having that resentment of that male female role in a family, you know, now hopefully for a second marriage or, you know, meaningful relationship. So And have you talked to him about it at all? A little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well that I mean, that would be, you know, more the, the place to start. <laughs> the place to start. Like what even kind of doing even a five 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 around your differences around what you roles men and women's roles with money, you know, money, you could just talk money, then you could define it as I grew up thinking this. And, and it's probably has it like when when a man pays a bill, it means he's going to take care of me, he loves me, I, I feel safe, like there's probably layers that if you shared that with him, he'd be like, well, yeah. I just wanted to make sure you felt liberated, yeah. you could take care it's of the different. We don't know. But there's whole different stories, though, that could be unearthed in that conversation. And, and with that, I mean, that's, again, this, like, my story is, because I grew up where men always pay the bill. So I assume when you don't, I, you know, I could go down to, oh, he can't, doesn't have the money, or it's not important, or maybe something, what, what, what fits for you. So it's sort of like your story, if you share it, and then check it out, he could say, no, like, the liberate, like, we have a friend who takes us, he, he, that's how he, what is that language of language of love, love language. He loves he to is, take us out to dinner. But I, I don't really care whether he pays for my dinner or not. I do. Actually, it's I not, want I want him to actually, there's other things I'd prefer to have in a relationship, but, and she loves him to take him out to dinner. And I'm like, this means two different, we've had this conversation, the three of us though. And now he, he never pays when it's him and I that go out. He always pays when it's the three of us though. <laughs> he's, you know, he's like, but we had to have the conversation. And one time he and I split the bill. And Chris Marie didn't pay anything. So she got exactly what she wanted. <laughs> but it really was, you know. <laughs> but to be willing to. Chris Marie, I'm with you. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, pay. I'll take that. <laughs> I never, it wasn't until I have always been kind of like, I'm going to make my money and take care of myself. And it wasn't until more recently that I had to admit, wow, I actually really want somebody to take care of me. I want to be provided for. And that, feels like an anti-feminist statement, but it, it, it's kind of acknowledging that something in me wants that well, piece. It could be an anti-feminist, except for it's me who want to do that. Yeah, so I want this woman, woman to take care of me. Like, I don't know where that fits into the equation. I, <laughs> I do think it's kind of a crazy. <laughs> I think that, I think that's so interesting, but it is like that, like that whole concept of feminine energy, like what fires me up, what stirs up my feminine energy, what puts me in this place where I can be flirty and fun and versus if I'm going to pay the bill, man, I am the boss and I am the boss and I am in charge. Right. And, you know, I'm running the show and I don't want that in a, another relationship. <laughs> mm-hmm. I get that. <laughs> that's a, that's an interesting, I mean, I find those things like, like for me, I, I really find 
differences like that fascinating generally. I mean, there are every <laughs> once in a while, but it, it's like sometimes she'll tell me things she thinks about money. And I'm like, wow, that is so different than my world around. Like, cause money is a big thing for her in terms of safety and security. But you know, I had four cancers when I was 24 and no money and just was living off of nothing. So it doesn't come easy for me when she says you need to save. It's like, for what? Tell me, you know, but when we, when I start to understand more and, and then she, I think has had more appreciation for me because she understands, I just have a whole different context for it. So that can make the difference, but if you can't have that conversation, you can never get there. And just to be curious and interested and, and not ashamed for what you want. Yeah. You know. Maybe he'll play along. Maybe he won't. Yeah. <laughs> but if he wants you to be more flirty and you say, hey, when you pay, I get more flirty, I'm thinking you have a good case there. You go. Right. And then if, if the answer is, mm, nope, that doesn't work for him, well, there's your answer too. There's there you clarity. go. Yeah. That's, yes. <laughs> so, but speaking that early is really important. So that comes to speaking your truth and expressing yourself and not stuffing, not holding it down and getting to those underlying reasons for the feelings. And, and that's all a part of self-discovery, which is always beautiful. Always right. beautiful. Always beautiful. And, well, I think in so many, I, I definitely was like, oh no, I've got to keep the relationship smooth, especially in the beginning. Oh, but that smoothness is at the cost of me. Mm-hmm. It's that inner conflict. Like, wow. Cause you're pretending that's that fraud thing. I'm an imposter and they won't love me anyway. So why not be yourself? <laughs> because if you, you want to relax into that and speak up. And even if you realize, like, I think, cause I, I, this probably happens more with women than men. I don't know, but like women do make the choice to maybe not like you said, you didn't ever say what you wanted. You kind of thought the relationship should be smooth and, or had different expectations that never got spoken. The key is once you decide, Hey, I need to find my voice is to remember that you still have this part that there are your expectations and that person over there never knew about them. So you got to give that some room to give that person a chance to catch up. Because so many times in a couple, it's like I've seen someone say, well, I have always done this. I have always been the one who did the dishes, who did the this. And then, and it's like, and I kind of wait for them to say, and you always did it without saying a word, right? Or you hinted and thought that that was loud enough, but it wasn't. And so, not that you should have to keep doing it, but remember, if if that's been your pattern, it's going to come as a shock to the other person that it wasn't what you wanted to do. Especially somebody who is good at saying what they want, and that you could wrong. Or you could just go, well, I get this is going to be hard for you, and (laughs) we're going to need to make some changes. Because I didn't tell you, but this is actually what I wanted. So here we are having that compassion that that person is going to be surprised. We talk about it like Chris Marie talks about it. Like she was decaffeinated before. Oh, I used to go around as decaf coffee. Like, and everybody liked my decaf coffee, meaning me. I didn't speak up. And then when I came fully caffeinated, everybody was like, well, wait, could you go back to being decaf? Because you're easier to deal with then. I'm kind of like, just go back to half and half and we'll see if we can <laughs> half do this you know? <laughs> Half calf. That's hysterical. No, but I can totally see that. And I think that concept is giving yourself the freedom to do that. So encouraging each other's. And so when you're working with a couple or an individual in speaking their truth, like creating that safety for them to do that, right? Because you have to feel safe for that. Yes. You yeah. have to kind of, that's why one of the things about a five, 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 that's, that sets a boundary and creates a container. 
And, you know, you make a commitment. We're not going to leave each other after this. We're just going to have a conversation. And the more you can do that, it kind of strengthens the ability to tolerate the differences and it gets easier. And even tolerating your, re- your person having a reaction, yeah. that still does not mean you need to change. Yeah. That's, can I, can I hold, even though she's upset over there, can I just know that I'm still safe? I don't have to fix it or change it. I'm just stating my truth and giving them time to catch up. And sometimes you can ask that question. Like right now, I'm afraid you're going to leave. And can we agree that you're not going to leave tonight? You know, so it might be small agreements if you're, you know, if you have a lot of, but that starts to build a little of that trust that usually has been broken down and lost and creates the safety. I, I love it. That's so meaningful. All right. Show your book there, The Beauty oh, of Life. Okay. And yes. tell, our, tell our listeners oh. where they can get their copy, The Beauty of Conflict for Couples. Yeah, this is, and we have a business book, The Beauty of Conflict. This is our newest one, The Beauty of Conflict for Couples. And you can get it on amazon.com. To learn about it, you can go to beautyofconflict.com. And we have some information. We have a free snippet sneak peek for the book. So you can take a look at that and lots of information about it. We are also developing book club questions for it. And those will be on our website because people said, oh, you have to have a book club because all these women want to read this book and talk about it. So we're, we're getting that up. But I have to tell you, even recently, I was just working with a couple and they, because they couldn't get on my schedule and they had been reading it to each other. I thought that was, and that had profoundly impacted them I thought that was such a cool thing. They, they said, well, we can't see her for a few weeks. We're, we're not going to end this thing. We're going to at least read the book. So I thought, and they were working through it. And at so, the end of the question, at the end of the chapters, we have some, oh, we have little visuals. We have questions for them to answer yeah. with each other. So, so it's a great little interactive, easy to read book. Oh, chock full of tools. Yeah, yeah, no, that's so powerful. And so beautyofconflict.com. And that's also how your events are there and your weekend retreats and all that stuff is there. So if people wanted to schedule with you. Well, another, we should probably integrate these two websites, but the other one is Thrive Inc, T-H-R-I-V-E-I-N-C.com. And that has our relationship mojo, which is an online class for people that want to work on their relationship, even when their partner doesn't. Or couples mojo, which is our in-person Equus retreat that we do here here in Montana, which is really fun. That's our four-day program. Oh, awesome. Awesome. I love that. All right. Well, I want to thank you both. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Chris Marie, for being on this call with me and to sharing your wisdom. This has been a fun conversation all about conflict. I know. Yes. Ooh, <laughs> with that you didn't even know. <laughs> See, I love conflict. I don't know. Right. <laughs> thank you. This right. has been great. Yes, thank you. Thank you all so, so much. Well, for our listeners, I want to share with you this great book, The Beauty of Conflict for Couples by Susan and Chris Marie. So the beautyofconflict.com and you can get a snippet of the book. And of course, you get it on Amazon and anywhere books are sold. So uh, fun conversation to have with us about conflict and looking at those couple of things that you know, we discussed in this is how important it is to express yourself as to be yourself as to share what's in your heart, what's on your mind, if you feel it, think it, say it, be the confusion, right? Like we want to connect and have healthy relationships. And often it's because we're not seeing the other person's perspective. So getting to these safe places, feeling safe to have these conversations is the next right step in so many of our lives, whether it's in our personal, most intimate and valuable lives, you know, me with my four daughters, 
and then or in work relationship and in all relationships right so i encourage you to share this couch talk let me know what you guys like i love reading your reviews and i've gotten five star reviews for this podcast and i love it i love it i love it it really warms my heart so i want to thank everyone everyone out there for giving the reviews and passing on these podcasts and let me know how much it means to you and what you're working on in your life right now so thank you all for being here with me today and i will see you next week on couch talk